So, do you have a safe person that you can go to and be yourself with? You know that person that when um, you're with them, it's like, ah, I can let my guard down. I don't, I don't have to worry about offending them. I don't need to worry when I say something to them that they're going to think, oh, you're really weird. Or maybe they already know you're weird and that's why they're a safe place, right? Uh, I, I hope it's your spouse. And, and I, you know, I know Kristen and I experience that love together where we can, we can be that safe place. Certainly there are times as a spouse, though, that maybe you're, you need a different safe place because your spouse is one of the people that you're sort of working through some feelings about. So maybe you have friends or, or other family members that you can go to and, and be that safe place. And, and when you come and you get with them, it's just like a, almost a sense of, ha. Ah, I can be who I really am. I can talk about the things that are hard to talk about with other people. They may not understand, but this person, this person does. Now, as a, as a pastor, I, I have some of those in my life. And it doesn't mean that I'm not genuine with those of you who I have a relationship with. But part of the challenge of being a pastor is sometimes is, can I share some of my challenges, some of my struggles without you feeling offended or hurt or wondering about who this pastor guy is and why is he so weird? Um, God be praised. I have some safe places that I can go to. And you know that feeling. And I hope you do. That that person, you can just open up your heart, open up the maybe the, the dark rooms, the challenging spots, the big questions that you have, the things that you wonder about, and you wonder every time you wonder about it, am I weird or something? Because I have these sort of thoughts. In our text this morning from Luke chapter one, we actually hear about a, a safe place that Mary goes to. She goes to be with her relative, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is somebody that when she comes into her presence, they have such a relationship that all of a sudden, what's ever inside, whatever is sort of being held back in Mary's heart can just pour out. She can talk to her about a lot of stuff and a lot of things that she's going through. And she has a lot of things that she's going through. And this morning, we hear about a part of the text where Mary meets up with Elizabeth, and in that meeting, opens it up. Here it is. Here's who I am. Here's what's going on in me. We actually have a a very specific name. This, This text has a name in sort of the history of the church. It's called Mary's Magnificat, which actually is just simply Mary's song of worship to God. It's interesting that right away the secret places that Mary opens up to her safe place, Elizabeth, is worship to God. Let's explore this text this morning. I want to encourage you to turn in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 46, and we'll walk through this together. A little note, by the way, um, I was in a drugstore this week, and just for fun, I went to the glass rack and picked up some of those, like, reading glasses and looked, and it was amazing how much I can see now. Uh, actually, I not see now because I don't have them. I think Kristen might have that on my list for Christmas because I'm reading things and not seeing them. So if I say weird words when I'm reading, it's because I'm working on that and figuring out what it means to get old. <laughs> All right. 
from the text, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Right away, right from the very beginning of her being in the safe place with Elizabeth, Mary's moved to worship. If if you look in the story, you see how it worked. Mary comes and greets her. She visits her in in a town. We're not sure how far away that is. Not too far. Probably a day or a couple days journey. But she gets there and When she gets there, Elizabeth says to her, she gives her a little speech. You can see it a little earlier. She says, blessed are you among women, Mary, and some more things. And then Mary, out of response, not only to that, but also all this stuff that has been happening in her life over the past few weeks, explodes in praise. And that's interesting that Mary would do that because We would think, okay, yeah, of course she's going to worship God, right? She's found out from the angel. She's carrying the Son of God. What a a great thing to be involved in, right? What an amazing thing. You are a part of God's great redemptive story in the history of the world. Of course she's going to be moved to worship, but remember what's going on here. All right? Uh, Alice. I'm just going to ask for a moment. Could you stand up just for a second? No, Alice Coke, right behind you. That's awesome that I had two Alices in a row. That would be a very different story. Alice is 12, right? 12, 13? So that's maybe about Mary's age. Maybe a little bit older, not much. And Alice just found out that she's pregnant. Oh, boy. She didn't, by the way. Chris, I think, just pulled a muscle in her head doing this. Now imagine if that were actually true. Would Alice's first response be worship? Or would it be fear? Or doubt? Or being really scared about having to talk to mom and dad about what's going on? Alice, thank you for standing up. I appreciate it. Can you imagine... A, a child that age, all of a sudden being challenged with carrying a child for whom there is no earthly father. And she's not sure whether or not she is going to have a husband through this whole journey. Because if we sort of put the two texts together from the beginning of the book of Matthew and the beginning of the book of Luke, and we put them together, we hear the story of Joseph saying, I will still be in relationship with you. But if we look at this text, it comes before that. At least we can suppose that it does. And if it comes before that story, Mary is meeting with Elizabeth and responding in her safe place, the secret of her heart being worship, not knowing whether or not Joseph, her betrothed, will keep her. She is also a young woman. In Israel, that's not always a great thing. It's a paternalistic society, a masculine society, and women don't have the place in society that they do in ours. We also are, are, are... Know that Mary comes from backwoods. Imagine some backwoods part of of this country. 
Some, some place where nobody goes and nothing good comes from there. Nothing exciting, at least. Mary's from that spot. It's called Galilee. And she's not really that important. So for her to all of a sudden, out of all of that, explode and worship to God, I wouldn't call it natural at all. It's actually quite extraordinary that this young woman in her safe space with her dear friend would share her secret place in her heart that God has been good. In fact, she begins to explore that. Let's continue reading verse 48. 48 and 49 say this, For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. You see those two verses. And what's, what's important about those two verses in the context of this whole song is that they're personal. Mary is acknowledging before God his personal activity in her life. Yes, she could see in the world around her. She could look around, and she does eventually see how God's doing this and God's doing that. God's doing great things in the life of Elizabeth. Remember the story of Elizabeth, the person she's meeting with. Elizabeth didn't have a child, and then suddenly her and Zechariah get pregnant together with a child that ultimately is John the Baptist, the one who announces the coming of the Messiah. And Mary could say, oh, God has been active in Elizabeth's life. I will worship him. She doesn't do that first. What she does is she acknowledges that God has been good to her. God has been faithful to her. God has been merciful to her and blessed her and given her so very much. That's where she begins. It's a personal worship. Now remember, Mary could do it. She could start to name the yuck. I am a woman. I am from Nazareth. I am a Jew in a world that is ruled by Romans. I'm not sure that I have a husband. She could begin to make the list, just as we could, right, of the negative, challenging, hard stuff personally in our lives. You all got it, don't you? You all got hard things? You all got got stuff that's going on? Maybe diagnoses? Maybe you've got challenging relationships? Maybe you're sitting beside somebody you're at war with right now? Whether that be a spouse or a child or a parent. Maybe, maybe your work life is difficult. Maybe your neighborhood is, is not an easy place to be. Maybe your money situation is burdensome to you. Maybe you look at the political landscape that we live in and you see the negative of it. And you sit, come in this room this morning and you sit there and you think to yourself, okay, Pastor Scott, I know it's a worship service, but you're not going to get me this morning. I'm not going to, I can't. There's too many barriers. There's this, 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 this. A, B, C, D, E, F. We can get all the way to double Z really quickly. Because there's all those things and they're there. But Mary shows us that there's the other list. And the other list is God's activity and God's blessing. God's presence, God's love. God's redemption, God's transformation. How many of you also know this thing? These things, those blessings, 
How many of you are still alive? (laughs) Blessing. Believe me. Blessing. How many of you took nutrition this morning? Blessing. And you're keeping it down. So far, also blessing. Especially when we think about Cheryl's journey, right? Just being able to eat is a blessing. We just watched a whole bunch of blessing up here, didn't we? And we named those blessings. They got names in our lives. They got beauty in our lives. You got people in this room who care about you. I care about you, even if no one else does, and I'm sure there are others who do too. We care about you. Blessing. How many of you have enough money in your wallet, even right now, to go down to Albertsons if you needed to and find a way to feed yourself? Blessing. How many of you have any employment in your life that you can earn a living? Or maybe you're living on a retirement fund that you can still do that. Blessing. How many of you live in a place that is good and warm and shelter, and even though it's rainy outside today, you still have a place to be dry? Blessing. And by the way, 3 o'clock this afternoon, 23 different kinds of chilies. 23, count them. Blessing. Or unless you eat the ghost pepper one, then not so much blessing. That's the list that Mary is looking at. She's not looking at this one. She's not consumed. It's there. She's not ignoring it. It's there, but it's not what moves her. What moves her is not something that will move her to doubt or fear or despondency, sadness or pain. Instead, she is moved to the gratitude and blessing of knowing God's presence in her life. And the reality of it is, is I don't care who you are and why you're here this morning. I'm sharing with you, hear me here, you know blessings abundant in your life, no matter who you are, and if you and I are willing to have eyes to see, as Mary did, those blessings, those beautiful things that God has given to us, the more that we understand those blessings and live into them and see them for what they are, the less barrier that there is to worship God fully. You don't have barriers enough to not worship God with all your heart because you have blessings too numerous to not to. You hear me? Doesn't matter who you are. You have been given abundance. That's what Mary is looking at. That's where her eyes are focused. That's how she has the ability to give God glory. She's not done. Verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. Mary's starting to broaden her view. She started inwardly. She started personally. She saw the blessing that God has given to her in her own life, but now she's broadening it. She's seeing God's presence in the world around her. And because she has eyes to see, she can see those things. She can see those places where God is at work. And and certainly, if she wanted to, she could see the other, because it's there, Oppression by Rome. 
Poverty in her own little world with people not having enough to eat and people being in conflict with one another. She certainly could have looked and seen that there were things in her world that were broken, that things in her world that were, were evil had power. But she chose instead to see the places where God was at work, which becomes a challenge for us, right? We've just come off the most vicious political cycle in recent memory. Of course, we could look and see that and we could say, where has God been? Or we can see places and spaces where God has grown his kingdom, his glory, and his beauty in powerful ways. If we choose to see. Yes, there is war in this world. And it's all over the place. And it saddens our hearts to hear about places in, in Western Africa. And in Syria. And in other parts of the world where there is strife and death and violence. And yet for us to also see that there are places of peace where God has shown his presence. And brought his shalom. Yes, there is sickness in our world, but there is also places where God has shown his presence through healing. Yes, there is brokenness and racial strife in his world, in our world, but there is also places where God has shown up and brought reconciliation and relationships together. Yes, there is evil, but so much more so is God's spirit alive and well and active in our world if we have eyes to see. That's where Mary's focus is. That's where she has moved herself. That's her space, not the other stuff. She doesn't ignore it again, but she, she, she chooses to see where God has been faithful and God's faithfulness when she considers it and the longer it, she considers it moves her to worship. But there's more. Verse 51, second part. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Now, if you read passages like this in the text, and they're not just here, but they're elsewhere, they're oftentimes in prophetic writings and psalms, you see where things that are low are made high, and things that are high are made low. Where you see contrasts, sort of the, the ends of the spectrum are switched and changed. Those who are humble are, are made given positions of authority. Those who are poor are given wealth. They're called great reversal passages. Great reversal is what the kingdom of God is actually all about. It's, it's about those who are poor, poor in their spirit, poor in their lives, poor in their hearts, being made new and full in Jesus Christ. It is about those who are broken in their sin, those who are broken in their, in their uh, awareness of their own world, being made whole in Jesus Christ. It is about those who are poor in their own spirit, being made rich through the Holy Spirit. The great reversal is truly the kingdom of God. And Mary is acknowledging that the great reversal is already active in her own world. How does she know? Because she's it. She is the great reversal. 
A woman with no position being arguably at least the second uh, most, uh, the strongest figure in all of Christendom. Second most human. Or uh, second, whatever. You know what I'm saying. Here's this woman from Nazareth. Nobody knows her. We all know her. We sing songs about her, Jim. All those folks did this morning, right? Those who are poor being made rich. Those who have nothing being given food. No longer hungry. She sees it in her world. And because, again, she has eyes to see, seeing the great reversal of the kingdom of God moves her to worship. She's looking at that. She's not seeing the other stuff. It's there, but she's not seeing it because she sees all this great stuff. And out of the, the blessing that God has, has given to her, pours out gratitude. Thank you, God. You've made, given me position. You've given me what I need. You've given me mercy. You've given me love. You've given me grace. I see that. I experience that. Because of that, I want to give you praise. But finally, she grabs onto one more thing that moves her to worship. Verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel Remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. What Mary is, is naming here, remember she started personally, then she saw God in her world, then she sees more about the great reversal and the growth of the kingdom, and now she's going even back in time. And she's seeing God at work through generations in the nation of Israel. God has been faithful In essence, what she's saying is, I will worship God. Why? Because God keeps his promises. He has made a covenant with his nation Israel. And even though they have broken covenant with him, even though there has been sin generation after generation, even though we had to be exiled because of our sin, even though we have, we have rejected God so often as a Jewish people, he has shown and made himself known to us over and over and over again. God keeps his from promises. And how important do you think that that is to Mary? Read a little bit earlier in Luke chapter 1. The angel comes and he says to her, here's what's happening, Mary. And the angel makes promises. Do you think those are important to Mary? Of course they are. Because she's in this place of fear. She's, she's this young little girl who has so much that's scary ahead of her. Don't you think it's an encouragement to her that God says, I will be with you through all this? You can imagine that she held on with with, with iron grip to the promises of God. And she trusted in those promises that God had been faithful to Israel through generations because she needed that in her life now. God, always keep your promises as you have in the past because I need those promises for myself now. And guess what? God has made promises to you too. If you're sitting here, God has made a promise to you 
If you know the grace of Jesus Christ, God has made more promises to you. If you've been baptized into the faith, God has made more promises to you. Every step of the way, God has made promises to his creation and to his people. And God always, what? Keeps his promises. So if God always keeps his promises, and you look around, even at the difficulties in your world, do you think that God, through the Holy Spirit, can surmount them and make them make the way straight again? Of course he can. In his time, maybe not until he comes again, but God can and he will do it. Even in your, your dark, the times of loneliness, the times of pain, the times of doubt, the times of fear, does God say to you that he will be with you? Of course he does. He makes promises and God, what? Always keeps his promises. So what does that do? Where does it put you? I hope it puts you in a position of gratitude. I hope that it moves you to worship because since God always keeps his promises, even in the difficult moments, if we have eyes to see his faithfulness to us. He's always kept his promises in, his, in the past. We can believe that he will always keep the promises that he's made to us in the future. And if that's the case, I can give him worship. I can give him worship. I can be thankful for what he has done. So for us during this season of Advent, we're talking about this Advent conspiracy, right? Conspiracy being sort of subversion. We're going to take what is there and instead we're going to sort of turn it in a different way and make it something that's even better. God's way instead of the world's way. So uh, during this Advent season, and you already see a lot of these things, you're going to see a lot of symbols of Christmas, right? You see a lot of things that sort of, in some way or another, represent Christmas. Uh, here's one right here. Uh, certainly it's a little unconventional, right? A Christmas tree. And, and we're going to see Christmas trees in a lot of places. You're going to even see them in malls. You're going to see them maybe in your own home or in the homes of friends, or maybe you have some in your workplace or your school. You see a tree. What does that tree mean? Well, we're not going to go into the whole ancient meaning of trees, but what could it mean for you now to move you to worship? Let's think about it. Trees are part of God's creation, right? They grow someplace, usually up in Oregon or Washington or maybe Northern California or something like that. They ship them down to us, but they had to be planted somewhere. And God's faithfulness said, where that tree is planted, it's going to grow. And eventually someone's going to cut it down and use it for a Christmas tree. God created it. And for us to be mindful that a tree is a symbol of God's creation. God made the world and he made you. If he made you, isn't that a reason to worship him? What about a light? Okay, lots of Christmas lights. I go down my, I go down my street, right? And I'm, I live in a cul-de-sac and there's people who've decorated their houses with Christmas lights, including me. I got a bulb burned out and it's really bugging me right now because I'm very particular about my Christmas lights. There's people on my street who don't worry about straight or evenly spaced. Makes me a little crazy. Not like I'm OCD or anything. However, every time you see Christmas lights in your neighborhood, what do you think? You think, oh, pretty. What about thinking instead, praise God for the light of the world? 
Praise God for light in the darkness. Praise God for showing us a way in the darkness to hope and life and light. What about gifts? You're going to give gifts. You're going to receive gifts. You're going to see gifts. What do you see when you see a gift? Maybe you think, oh, good, score, gift card, or whatever it is. What instead, maybe we think as we unwrap, this is a gift, and it's good, but God has given us the greatest gift. See, when we do that with Christmas, instead of hearing the world's message, what it tells us Christmas is about, we, we, we conspire against it and say, yeah, you could do that, or you can be moved to fully worship God by seeing each of these symbols as a symbol of God's love and faithfulness to us. And if we see him that way, then it's going to move us to worship. Now, I've just given you three. You as a family, you as a couple, you as an individual. And think about others and say, hey, every time we see this, we're going to think about that instead. Every time we talk about this, we're going to understand it in light of how God has shown up in our world. And I hope you do. Because not that the world's view of Christmas is this horrible, evil thing that we need to completely reject, but what God gives to us in Christmas is so much greater. It's so much richer, so much more beautiful. It's so much more transforming, life-changing, world-altering, so beautiful that if we see all of these things in a way that moves us to worship God with all that we are, then then I think we're living into what Christmas is all about. Then we're experiencing the fullness of what God has for us. My encouragement to you as you go today is simply this. Allow yourself to have eyes to see. Work on having eyes to see. Think, consider, pray for the ability to have eyes to see the beauty and the power of God in your world. Because he's there and he'll show himself to you. You can see him already. And if you have eyes to see and are willing to see that, not the barriers, but that, the spirit empowers us to worship God more fully than what we've known before. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You have been so good to all of us. Certainly, Lord, there are challenges that we face. There are burdens and barriers that all of us have, and we can name them. Some of us have some really long, long lists. But we also have long lists of blessings. We have many stories of your presence, your power, your grace. And Lord, give us the ability to focus in that direction, to see things in that way, to have a heart that can sing worship and praise to you because you have been so very good to us. May we echo the song of Mary that she gave and sang when she got into her safe place, because it was the truth of her own heart. May the truth of our own heart be gratitude, God, for your goodness, for your faithfulness and your love, your 
power to change our eternity. Lord, may we see that. And in seeing it, may we give you all the glory. Pray this in Christ. Amen.